Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Doctor Matters Podcast. We are back, finally, and as you may see behind me, I am in a different room, and that means we have spent the last couple of weeks preparing to move into a new home. We've been preparing to adopt a child, so a lot of things have been happening, so we've had to put the podcast on hold just for a little while, but now we are now settled in our new home and we actually get our, our our little girl that we're adopting this weekend, full time, and then it'll be six months or so before we can adopt her officially, but she will officially be in our home, and we are looking forward to that. We're excited about that. We are glad to be settled in our new home, and uh, we just are ready to continue to sound the alarm. We're going to continue this sounding the alarm series that I'm doing here on the Dr. Matters podcast, and if you've been with us over the past few episodes you know that sounding the alarm means that we are sounding the alarm when it comes to false teachers. And as you know, by the the, the title of the message or the title of the podcast today, I should say that I'm going to be talking about Stephen Furtick. Now, I get a lot of people asking me all the time, what is exactly wrong with Stephen Furtick? Why should I not listen to Stephen Furtick? Why should we not sing elevation worship music in our worship services? What is it about Stephen Furtick? And let me just say this. Stephen Furtick is a young guy. He dresses hip and quote unquote relevant for the times, I guess you might say. Um, he is a, a good communicator and he is muscly and it's just got that vibe that's easy to listen to. But the problem with that is many people in our world today are running towards that easy to listen to that, uh, that, that, that relevant dress, the people that look like the culture and, and just embrace the culture and the music sounds the same. And it, they're forfeiting true doctrine when they're running to things like this. And that is a sad reality in which we live today as many people are saying, what's wrong with Stephen Furtick? I just, I enjoy listening to him. I connect with him on different levels. And let me just go ahead and say this, the dude is a heretic and we're going to watch a YouTube video here that I haven't watched all of. I just know that there's a complimentary uh, a, a, a compilation, I should say, not a complimentary, but a compilation of some of the things that Stephen Furtick has said from the pulpit. And, I, and really, there's not a pulpit at Elevation Church. There's a more like a stage that he teaches from. And what he teaches most of the time is heresy. And, uh, and, and let me just say this. Essentially, what Stephen Furtick is and Elevation Church, Elevation Church is actually listed as a Southern Baptist church, if you can believe that or not. It really is. And uh, if you listen to the teaching, then you will quickly find that this is not Baptist teaching that we're listening to. And uh, actually, Stephen Furtick and Elevation Church have kind of gone the way of word of faith. Uh, They are a word of faith movement and new apostolic reformation type church that is just uh, blown up in the Charlotte area. And uh, it's just amazing some of the things that come from this man's mouth from the quote unquote pulpit. And I would rather say stage because that's ultimately what it is. It's a stage that he's teaching from. And uh, what he teaches is is not really true. So uh, we're really just going to get into this YouTube video, just like we have for the past couple of episodes. If you've been watching on YouTube, you can uh, see the video and go along with it. If you're listening, you should be able to hear the video as well. Uh, but you can see this on YouTube in its entirety. Just Dr. Matters podcast. You should find it there 
on YouTube. But uh, let's uh, start looking through some of this. Let me find my screen here and uh, we can begin the process of watching this and uh, just listening to this more than anything. Uh, this is going to be spread out over a few years. I haven't, like I said, I haven't watched all of it. I've watched some of it and I kind of know uh, the gist of what's going on here. Uh, but let's, uh, let's start with Stephen Furtick. And this, this video is 17 minutes and 48 seconds long. And I know that they have, whoever put this video out originally had put in some teaching and, and then some quotes from other people, especially John MacArthur. You might hear him when he, when he calls Stephen Furtick unqualified. And that might be in there, but uh, we're going to try to fast forward through some of that if it comes up. And we're just going to listen to what Stephen Furtick says. I'm going to take a minute or two just to break down some of the things that are really wrong when it comes to Stephen Furtick and Elevation Church. And uh, we'll go from there and and um, we'll just, uh, yeah, we'll do it that way. So this is the beginning right here. It's fixing to start. So let's get after it. The power of God was in Jesus, the healing power of God, the restoring power of God. The same power that made demons flee was in Nazareth, but Jesus could not release it because it was trapped in their unbelief. And there's one thing that even Jesus can't do. One thing that even the Son of God can't do. Even Jesus cannot override your unbelief. Time out. We already have to stop here. Uh, he's talking about when Jesus went to Nazareth, his hometown, and he was able to heal a few people there. But ultimately, they uh, they didn't believe Jesus to be who he said he was. He They just remembered Jesus to be a carpenter's son. And, and no, they said, can anything good come from Nazareth? You can look at that in a couple of the Gospels, and especially uh, Luke, uh, we see. And uh, I'm actually teaching through Luke, so I've actually uh, taught through this. And something that Stephen Furtick says here that is really concerning is that there is something that Jesus couldn't do. Now, if you are like me or if you know the podcast, you know that I believe that Jesus was truly God and truly man. So as he was truly God on this earth, that means that he still carried the attributes of God. They never ceased. So when when Jesus was on earth, he was still all knowing. He was all powerful. As a matter of fact, there were times in the scriptures, even in the book of Luke, as we're going through that he perceived in their hearts or he knew their hearts. So even as God in the flesh, he was still fully and truly God, knowing everything and able to discern the hearts of man and knowing what they were thinking and all of these things. So Jesus knows all. And, and when Stephen Furtick says there's something that Jesus couldn't do, that is a red flag in and of itself, because there is nothing that God cannot do, right? And then we talk about overriding someone's unbelief. Then if we believe that Jesus could not override people's belief or, 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 or unbelief, I mean, and God override that unbelief, then we have to stop saying that God is sovereign. We have to stop saying that God is in control of all things, because if God cannot override your unbelief, then he ceases to be God and he ceases to be God of this world. He ceases to be sovereign. And there is no need for church, no need for the Bible, no need for any of these things that have to do with God, because if he finds himself not able to do just one thing, then he ceases to be God. I would love to have a conversation with the Apostle Paul when his over 
his unbelief was overridden as he was on the road to Damascus to uh, persecute Christians, right? And then God saved him. He knocked him down. He saved him. He, he changed Paul from Saul to Paul. And that man was changed. His unbelief was overridden by the power of God. So let me just be clear here that when Jesus went to his hometown in Nazareth, Jesus could have done whatever he wanted to do. But because of the unbelief and the nastiness and all of the things there, knowing people, knowing their hearts, he only healed a few people. He preached a little bit and he left. He left his hometown. A prophet is without honor in his own hometown. So this man, Stephen Furtick here, is telling a, a an awful lie because if there's anything that God can't do, and remember Jesus is God in the flesh, the Bible teaches us that God was fully dwelling in Jesus, and Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, which means, therefore, that Jesus, in all of his glory and majesty and splendor, knew everything and was still fully God. So right out of the gate, we see some very troubling things here by Stephen Furtick saying that there is even something that God can't do. And then he says he can't override your unbelief, meaning that the decision to be saved is made up to you. I've seen several memes just in today, uh, matter of fact, where uh, one of these was a picture of a lifeguard and there were a bunch of people just face down in the pool and uh, the, it said the lifeguard's not going to save you unless you ask him to. And, and that's simply a, a picture of the gospel and Jesus saving is God has chosen before the foundations of the world those that will be saved. And those people's unbelief will be over road, if you will. Uh, God will change their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, taking out their heart of stone, replacing it with a heart of flesh. We find that language in Ezekiel, uh, I believe it's chapter 36. But we see that the, the, the regeneration that takes place is a result of the Holy Spirit doing that work in a man, overriding essentially that unbelief that they once had. So uh, I don't want to stay on this one very long because I know there's a lot more in here that we need to to unpack, but just right there, um, that's very troubling language coming from a very influential person in the Christian realm, if you will. I see y'all looking at me like, is that true? Thought he could do anything. He said he could not. He wanted to, he was prepared to, he was able to, and he couldn't. Power of God was in Nazareth, but it was trapped in their perspective. I want Elevation Church to be a church for the overlooked, for the unloved. Not for us to have as many different varieties of Bible studies. We got Beth Moore and Kay Arthur and Joyce Meyer. No. You know what we got? We got Jesus. We preach him. We preach so that people can come to faith in Preach Jesus. I like that. Preach Christ and Christ crucified. He sounds like he's on a roll right here. I like what he's saying. Let's see what he continues to say. Christ, and we want him to get in a small group and serve so that other people can meet Christ. If you know Jesus, I am sorry to break it to you. This church is not for you. If you know Jesus, this church is not for you. So if you're a Christian, apparently you're not supposed to go here. Now, we know... And if you don't know, you're about to know that the church is a gathering of the saints, the, those that have been saved, redeemed, called out by God, those that have been regenerated, those that have been 
saved and are Christians. The gathering of the saints makes up the church as we know it on the Lord's Day. So when you gather on Sunday as the church, you're gathering as people that know Jesus Christ and he knows you. So this is already troubling. And to say that this is not a place for you if you know Jesus, what does he think a church is? And we're going to find out, I believe. I believe I've heard this clip before. Uh, we're going to find out exactly what he believes right here. And it's very troubling. Yeah, but I just gave my life to Christ last week at Elevation. Last week was the last week that Elevation Church existed for you. I just gave my life to Christ last week. That is the last week Elevation Church was for you. You are no longer to gather here as the body of Christ because this is not a church. And, and truthfully, he is right. This is not a Bible-believing, Christ-centered, God-glorifying church. So if anyone does get saved in this church, they need to remove themselves immediately and find a biblical fellowship to join because this, is, what he is saying, is not what the Bible teaches. We are not to neglect the gathering of the saints. The gathering of the saints is the church. And if Elevation Church is not for you as a Christian, then Elevation Church is not a church. They should simply go by Elevation, which I think they do. I don't think they call themselves Elevation Church anymore, just Elevation. Uh, so, yeah, apparently if you're a Christian, you can't go to Elevation Church. You're in the army now. We do one thing. We preach Jesus so people far from God can know Jesus. Not a bad strategy. Preach Jesus. And then we train them up so that others can know Jesus. Train them up so others can know Jesus. That's a disciple-making process. However, how are you supposed to train up other believers if you kick the believers that just became believers out of your church the week they become a believer? You see the logic? There is no logic here. There's no trail to follow with this because it's nonsense. It's called kingdom multiplication. It's what Elevation Church is all about. And over 500 people have given their lives to Jesus for the first time in this church in the last five months. That's over 100 per month. I just have, I just, just personally thinking, I wonder how many of those are legit. You know what I mean? I wonder how many of those are legit, truly repenting, believing Christians. Or I wonder how many of those have been manipulated into thinking they're a Christian. It's just a question that I have and questions that you should probably have as well. If that doesn't get you excited and you need the doctrines of grace as defined by John Calvin to excite you, you in the wrong church. Let me get a phone book. There are 720 churches in Charlotte. I'm sure we can find one where you can stuff your face until you're so obese spiritually that you can't even move. This is a church that wants to get you on the field, playing the game, changing lives, looking for an opportunity to impact it's what we're all about we're focused like a laser we're not perfect but we know what we came to do luke 19 10 seek and save that which is lost it's the mission of jesus it's the mission of elevation church and may we never become a church of front row spectators who judge the deeds being done more than we care about the people that jesus wants to save i have issues here and many of you that watch know i probably have issues First of all, uh, one of the things that he said, that if you need the doctrines of grace as defined by John Calvin, uh, basically to, to start your fire, then uh, this is not the church for you. However, 
I beg to differ that the doctrines of grace are not defined by John Calvin. The doctrines of grace may have been expounded on by John Calvin, but the doctrines of grace are all throughout the Bible. We can do a sermon series on the doctrines of grace soon, or, or a podcast series through the doctrines of grace, and we can look at many passages of Scripture that make up the doctrines of grace, and we will do that and can do that, but uh, that's the problem when it comes to the doctrines of grace is people tend to think that uh, those that believe the doctrines of grace, or might I say those that believe what the Bible truly teaches or the way they think the Bible is teaching, which I happen to believe and interpret the Bible because I let it, I let the scriptures interpret the scriptures. So therefore, if you would ask me if I believe in the doctrine of grace, I would say absolutely as defined by scripture, not by John Calvin. However, many people that are opposed to Reformed theology and the doctrines of grace will go straight to John Calvin and they will say that we're worshiping a man instead of Christ. However, I want to backpedal there and say that's just the beginning of a straw man argument. That is not who I worship. I don't worship John Calvin. My beliefs are shaped and formed through the scriptures. And I get that by being a part of a healthy biblical church. Although I'm the, the preaching pastor at my church, I have men around me that, that, that strengthen me spiritually, that challenge me through the word of God. And I'm seeing the, the word and reading the word on my own and studying the word. And I've let the word shape what I believe. Have I wrestled with it? Absolutely. Am I... Uh, will I help somebody else that's wrestling with it? Will I be cordial and nice and calm with people that are opposed to it? Absolutely. Why? Because I've been there and done that. However, I do not worship John Calvin. Uh, I worship Jesus Christ and I give glory to God alone. And I get my theology from the scriptures because I'm part of a biblical, healthy biblical church. Now, apparently, Elevation's model is... We want all of the goats to come in. We don't need sheep in our church. We want the goats, those that are lost, the unbelievers to come into our congregations so we can preach Christ and Christ crucified, which is good. However, that is not the model of what a church is. The, the church makes is made up of sheep, not goats. So when the goats come in, yes, they'll be there. And we hope that, that, they're, that they are there for our Sunday gatherings. But we have to understand that the church is made up of sheep, of believers, and we nurture and grow and equip those sheep to go and do the ministry. Now, the model of Elevation Church is backwards because the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 doesn't say, bring all the goats into the church house. No, the, the Great Commission says, go. As the church gathers, we are there to fellowship, to sing together, to pray together, to hear the, the, the word of God taught, to hear the public reading of scripture. And then we scatter throughout the week. And that is when we are told to go and preach the gospel and make disciples. And that word go literally means as you are going. So Elevation Church has it backwards. They don't want the church to be a part of their church. They want unbelievers to be a part of their church. So they can preach Christ and see people get saved, which that is backwards. We gather as the church, grow as the church, grow spiritually as the church, dive deep into the word of God. And then we're to scatter as those that are being equipped by the leaders in that church to go and make disciples of all nations. So uh, their their ecclesiology is is bad here. It's 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 not. It's yeah, uh, it's not good. I don't like it. <laughs> and I hope you don't either. I hope you're starting to see why Stephen Furtick is dangerous, because we're only three minutes into this video 
and there's still a little bit left. And this is just one video of many things that he has said. I wonder if they're going to show him shooting a super soaker from the pulpit during a sermon. I don't know, but I can tell you that, that is not uh, prescribed in the word as far as worship. So uh, maybe it's in here, maybe it's not, but we'll see what's next. You know, I like to illustrate stuff. Here it is, the water guns. Now this is during a sermon. Because I love you. With a water gun, water pistol. Gaston, aren't you glad you're watching on video? It'd be all right. It ain't sulfuric acid, it's just water. Now this is called the drenchinator. You see it? The drenchinator. And the drenchinator operates by. <laughs> I'm praying about whether to follow through. Is he really praying in that moment whether to follow through with soaking the crowd with water? And what's up with that crazy laugh? I don't understand. This is during a sermon. I tend to follow the regulative principle of worship. And if you don't know what that is, it's simply a, a just a, a real quick definition of that is we worship by what is prescribed in God's word. That's how we worship on his terms, not ours. Nowhere in scripture do I see shooting people with a water gun. And, and, and I have many good brothers and sisters across the spectrum. And many of those brothers and sisters may fall into the normative principle. And they say, if it doesn't forbid, then you can have that leeway to do whatever you want in worship. I, I find that to be crossing lines of being dangerous. But I don't think many of my brothers and sisters that even believe in the normative principle of worship would find this to be edifying, would find this to be God-honoring, Christ-exalting, the building up of one another. I don't think that they would find this that way. Let me make this bigger, and we'll continue to see what he does. I know what he's going to do. You know what he's going to do. He's going to shoot the crowd with this water. On this illustration, and I hear the Lord say, yes. I heard him say, go for it. Love will take you way further than the law ever could. This is the, the famous God broke the law for love clip here. Listen to this. I'll prove it to you. Let's say your child is in a horrible accident. Let's say they bust their head wide open on the monkey bars. And they fall off the monkey bars and monkey bars are like 30 feet high. I'm making this an extreme example. And they fall down and they bust their head wide open. And you scoop them up and put them in the car to get them to the emergency room. And on the way to the emergency room, every sign you see says uh, speed limit. How much attention do you pay to the numbers beneath the speed limit in that moment? Those numbers mean nothing to you. Why? Because somebody that you love is in trouble. And in that moment, any parent will break the law for the sake of love. Any human parent. He said it here, and this is something that we need to take note of. Any human parent, any human, fallen, sinful parent would break the law for love. 
breaking the law is still breaking the law. It's against the law. So any fleshly human parent is going to break the law. As a matter of fact, many of you listening and many of you watching probably break the law every single day. If you go two or three miles an hour over that speed limit, actually one mile over the speed limit, you have broken that law. And some of you may say, oh, well, I mean, it's just one mile an hour. Well, if the speed limit is 40, you're going 41. You're breaking the speed limit. You're breaking the law. But even as this illustration is already breaking down, because he's talking about a human parent, a fleshly parent whose father is Adam, right? Uh, a sinful person, even if they're a believer, they're still sinners and saints simultaneously. So therefore, this story, this analogy, this way of thinking is breaking down already because human nature is sinful and it doesn't add up or compare to that of God. And let's just carry on with this and see what he says. We'll break the law for the sake of love. And what will really turn your heart to God is not when you hear his laws, which were given for our good, by the way, but they were powerless because there wasn't enough leverage in our action to keep the law. So what God did when he sent his son, and this is why we get excited in church, and this is why tears fill our eyes when we think about Jesus, and this is why the gospel is still good news in the world today, because God broke the law for love. I said to every sinner, God broke the law for love. I mean that he scooped you up in his arms. I mean that he's carrying you in his grace. I mean that what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his son in the likeness of a sinful man. You see it right here. He's referring to Jesus as in the likeness of a sinful man. Now, let me just say this. Let me be very clear here. God did not break a law for love, for you, for salvation, for anything. Again, the moment God breaks one of his own laws, he ceases to be God. We cease to have a savior. We cease, cease to be saved. And we're just going to die and either just return to dust or go to hell. One of the two. However that looks and shakes out. But God does not break his own laws. God is perfect in every way. And to break a law means that you are now a law breaker. The Bible says that if you die without knowing Christ then he will say to you on that day, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. If God breaks a law, he becomes lawless. Just one law. As a matter of fact, when we are, when, when we are thinking about salvation and, and sinfulness, it only takes breaking one of the 613 laws found in the Old Testament. One out of the 613 to be condemned, to be lawless. So if God therefore breaks a law, he is a lawbreaker and he ceases to be God because he ceases to be perfect in every way. God broke no laws. 
it was God's plan to send Jesus, his only son, as the perfect sacrifice to live a perfect life, to die the sin that to die in the place of, of us, to die in our stead and to save us. That was that was God's plan from the beginning. And it was God's plan for Jesus to be buried and three days rose again to ascend back to heaven, seated at the right hand of God where he is today until he comes back. So God did not break any laws. Thankfully, he didn't break any laws or, or we'd all be on our way to hell with, with, with nothing to do, no way of escaping it. But thanks be to God, he sent his only son. And whoever repents of their sin and believes on him will be saved. This is heretical. This is saying that God is a sinner. If you haven't tracked yet, ultimately he just said it in a, in a cute way that only he can say it. But he said God is a sinner because he broke a law. Now we can take those 613 laws and we can funnel it down to the Ten Commandments. And then from there we can take it into love the Lord your God with all your soul, strength, heart, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And if God broke any of those laws, he ceases to be God. If God broke any of those laws, he's a sinner. Therefore, it is not God. Can you see yet why this man is a heretic and we need to flee immediately? Just because something is packaged well, just because something sounds good, just because something tickles your ear, doesn't mean it's biblical. It's, it's, it's frustrating and it's troublesome and tiresome when people keep running to things like this, knowing the dangers of it, but not being spiritually discerning enough to understand the dangers that are with this man. I hope you're listening. I hope I'm making some sort of sense to you here on this episode of why we should flee Stephen Furtick in this church. Let's continue. Um, this is Stephen Furtick. One word. Did you see that side? This is John MacArthur, by the way. Let me say this. John MacArthur is the opposite of Stephen Furtick. You can see Stephen Furtick has wore his skinny jeans, his tight shirts, his cool-looking, relevant-to-the-culture dress. And John MacArthur is wearing a suit. He's got gray hair. And I, let me just say this. I struggle to listen to John MacArthur sometimes because he stands still. He's very uh, almost monotone. He just moves his hands, which there's nothing wrong with this at all. But it's hard for me to listen to John MacArthur. But let me tell you what John MacArthur is going to do. He's going to rightly divide the word of God. We are going to disagree on a few things, not anything outside of orthodoxy, not anything like Stephen Furtick. Uh, some of the things that we're going to disagree on is, is, is uh, eschatology, for one, the end times. And a handful of things that I would probably disagree with John MacArthur on, but those are within the realms of orthodoxy. He is not a heretic. 
although he's hard to listen to sometimes, just because he's very monotone and, and stands still, I still respect this man and can listen to him because he is going to teach me the Word of God. And I know he's going to do that. And if you're like me, you can see when just saying Stephen Furtick, he lets out a large sigh. And let me just say, it's not like any of us want to be doing this or saying this because he's leading many people astray. Thousands upon thousands of people go to his campus, go to his church every single week, leading people astray, leading people to the slaughter. We don't want to have to do this, but we need to warn you and sound the alarm so that you'll know to run from these people. And listen to the one word that John MacArthur says about Stephen Furtick. Unqualified. Unqualified. Unqualified to be a biblical minister because he is teaching heresy. Let's continue. Qualified. <laughs> and it was... This is his wife, Holly Furtick, and they are discussing a book that he wrote called Unqualified because he heard what John MacArthur said about him. So instead of taking this to heart and understanding why he might be considered unqualified, he wrote a book about it and uh, really makes light of it, makes fun of being called unqualified a lot. So uh, I don't remember this clip specifically. So let's hear what he says. He just said unqualified and she laughed and uh, let's see what he says. Such a final kind of pronouncement, like a, a gavel in the Texas death penalty case. <laughs> unqualified and i heard that and what surprised me the most was it didn't make me mad i kind of laughed for a moment i thought of some words that i could call him back of course i'm not going to name the guy but there are some clues in the book if you actually want to read it it's john macarthur we just saw that obviously they're making light of it making fun of it maybe he could have called john macarthur or emailed John MacArthur or emailed the church or whatever, and, and maybe set up a time to have coffee and maybe they could have had a productive conversation. Instead, he makes light of the situation, writes a book about it. But what surprised me was that I kind of agreed. And I was fine with it. And after I thought through my emotions for a few minutes, it was like, I thought, yeah, that has a nice ring to it. Unqualified. It doesn't have a nice ring to it as a minister of the gospel. As a pastor, it does not have a nice ring to it. And I, I think I know what he's saying is, is that we are not going to measure up 100% to all of the qualifications found in the scriptures. There are going to be times where, where even pastors are, are sinful because we're, we're still in the flesh on this side of eternity. So every pastor, including John MacArthur, as you see here, is going to find themselves in sin sometime, but instead of staying in that sin, we seek restoration with the Lord. And if we need to seek restoration with others, we do that. And um, uh, there's some other things I could say about that, but let me just stop there uh, just for the sake of honoring the Lord. Uh, but here we are again, John MacArthur, they're just replaying it back, whoever made this video. There's that sigh. Did you see it? Did you hear it? Unqualified. 
What is God doing in your life right now that is actually an indication that his presence is becoming stronger and realer, but your emotional sensation is that he has left you? Now, the power of his absence is really a matter of us understanding that God is not limited by physical dimensions. And I know you know that, but he never really leaves. Okay? However, he does change forms. Somebody said wow when he said this. Many of you will not understand some most of you will some of you won't understand what he means by this when he says that he never really leaves he just changed forms this is a heresy called modalism uh, when it comes to the trinity and i will briefly say that it's it, it's summed up this way that the biblical view of the trinity is that there is god the father god the son and god the holy spirit that is three distinct persons that make up one god what Stephen Furtick believes, and uh, I believe T.D. Jakes did it once, but I've also read where he kind of walked that that back a little bit. Hopefully he did. Uh, but Stephen Furtick is not affirming the biblical view of the Trinity here. Modalism is not biblical. It's unorthodox. It's, it's, it's heresy. And to say that God never really leaves, he just changes forms, mean that he basically manifests himself in the form of Jesus Christ, and then he manifests himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. However, we can just look at the scriptures and at Jesus' baptism, and we hear a voice from heaven that says, well, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And we see the physical body of Jesus in the text, and then we see the Holy Spirit come in bodily form and land on Jesus in the form of a dove. So we see the three persons of the Trinity reveal themselves at Jesus' baptism, and then Stephen Furtick has to say that God just manifests himself in three different beings. And uh, whenever he needs to be Jesus, he's going to be Jesus. Whenever he needs to be the Father, he needs, he's going to be the Father. Whenever he needs to be the Holy Spirit, he's going to need to be the Holy Spirit. That God is found in all things, this kind of pantheism-type view of, of things. And this view of the Trinity is, 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 is heresy because God doesn't just kind of manifest and change and morph into each person of the Trinity. There are three distinct persons of the Trinity that make up one God. So that is a quick, just really quick rundown of if you can even explain the Trinity. Uh, he's not manifesting himself in three forms. He is God three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three different persons three distinct roles. Stephen Furtick's view of the Trinity is false. I didn't give you that permission yet. If you were standing, you can remain standing in reverence. Uh, let me let me make this screen big here. He just moved on. Let me look here. Can you see what this says? Stephen Furtick at Lakewood Church. And then it says, Furtick pays personal honor. I don't know why the YouTube play bar is not going away. To preacher Joel Osteen. Now, if you know Joel Osteen, you know this guy is 
the smiling preacher, the feel-good preacher. He's going to tell you everything but how wicked and unholy you are. He's going to try to give you seven steps to your best life now. This guy is a heretic. We're going to talk about him on this Sound the Alarm series that we're doing. But Stephen Furtick is sharing the stage now, preaching at Joel Osteen's church and giving him honor. Unreal. Let's continue. And respect for the word of Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth. You've been so energetic all night, and I'd ask you to keep that energy as kind of really cool thing when you get to preach at Lakewood after Israel Houghton and so please don't ruin it for me by like losing your energy it would be great if we could make this everything I had dreamed it would be hey no really you may be seated and thank you worship team thank you so much and uh I did want to take a moment and just honor uh, Pastor Joel and Victoria again to say let me say too this is in 2012 when I know like, I still think they're considered part of the Southern Baptist Convention. This is a Southern Baptist, quote-unquote, Southern Baptist pastor sharing the stage with known heretic Joel Osteen, now about to give he and his wife honor. This is unreal. I've never seen this. Say thank you for letting me stand here and preach. He should not want to go stand there and preach. And if he did, he should go bring down the house with the gospel of Jesus Christ, much like Matt Chandler did at their Code Orange Revival at Elevation Worship. If you have not seen that, you should look up Matt Chandler, Code Orange Revival. He goes in, lays the hammer down, preaches the word, preaches the gospel. Stephen Furtick hates it, has it removed from the podcast, and the you, you couldn't find it for a while. He was angry with Matt Chandler, never had him back. It's one of those big, crazy things, but kudos to Matt Chandler back then for going in there and doing that. However, Matt Chandler is kind of taking a hard left and uh, not who he used to be, but uh, I digress. Let's continue to hear heretic Stephen Furtick give honor to other heretics. Yeah, I didn't tell you this, but I, I actually came out here like – one year into our church, maybe a year and a half into our church, and I guess it was like a round table thing that they had set up for pastors. I got to sneak up here and make a little video for our church, and it's just getting started, and I made a video of this place and talked to our church and said, if God can do it there, what could he do in our city? And I wanted to just report to you, you know, I remember our church cheering for that, but it was kind of hard to imagine, and since that time, we've seen over 20,000 people come to Christ in the church. I would still like to know how many of those are faithful, faithfully following Christ today. Uh, 2012 is when he said this. It's been several years ago. I, I wish I wish I knew, but I don't. Um, and let me just say this. If your pastor sends you a video of him from the stage or from the building at, at Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, saying if God can do this, what can he do with us, then you need to get out of that church. If you're in a church that leans heavily on the teaching and the singing ministry of Elevation Church and Elevation Worship, I would advise you to have a conversation with the leadership. And uh, if they continue to go down that route, I unfortunately would say that you need to find a biblical church to be in. Sadly, many people find themselves in biblical churches and then go back to things like this. And uh, that is that's sad. And uh, I pray that that they would see 
the danger in things like this. Uh, but let's continue to hear what he says here. But I want to thank you for inspiring that vision for us. And um, it's pretty cool what you help us imagine. So thanks. Kind of blow all of our minds. And then... Stephen Furtick, looking more and more like a word faith preacher all the time. That's the voice of Todd Friel with Wretched Radio here on this this portion of the video. Um, uh, again, I haven't seen this, all of it, so I don't know what this is going to be about, but we'll listen together. Here's a little nugget called Tapping the Full Potential of Your Power from his series Grapes and Giants. That's right, Grapes and Giants. You've been chosen for a great journey, but it will not be easy. Ah, so I'm going on a journey. I can bring my four-wheeler. I see how this is all working. You will face many challenges along the way. You will come up against giants. I wonder if David was involved in this little snippet. But you must remember the promises. You will taste the fruit of the land and all its riches. Huh? That's a promise to Israel. Are we Israel? Answer, no. You will overcome... You will experience blessings and battles. You will be victorious. You will overcome. Anybody wondering about the trajectory of Stephen Furtick? Anybody wondering where he's going these days? And we got a, a bishop who's a blacksmith. And we want to get behind him today and say, go ahead, bishop. Do what you have in your mind. We are with you, heart and soul. This next generation wants you to know we're with you, heart and soul. Thank this is T.D. Jakes, another known heretic. Um, what is, I don't, I don't even know what to explain that's happening here. Uh, it's really weird. Stephen Furtick is pushing him. I'm curious to see what happens. Thank you for your faith, Bishop. Thank you for every slippery place. Thank you for every thorny place you navigated. You made it look easy. We know it wasn't easy, but you made it look that way. So forgive us when we don't appreciate you like we ought to appreciate you. But we want you to know we're with you. An iTeam exclusive. That was really weird. Now, I, I don't... I, I don't even know what's happening here now, but the I-team looks like he made the news. Let's see. A mega house from mega church pastor. Oh, yeah. NBC Charlotte's I-team has confirmed that Elevation Church pastor Stephen Furtick is building a 16,000-square-foot home in Weddington. It has seven and a half bathrooms. Building permits put the contract value of the house alone just shy of $1.4 million. The land cost another $325,000 for a total cost of more than $1.7 million. Yet Elevation Church has asked volunteers and employees alike to sign this confidentiality agreement. The agreement threatens to sue volunteers and members if they disclose church finances. First city in the promise. Okay. So apparently, I think I remember seeing something about this, that they were kind of bagging on Stephen Furtick for having a $1.7 million home when it was all said and done. And, I, and to be honest, I have mixed feelings about this. Now, 
I don't agree with not being able to disclose church finances. I think that that is something that is uh, should be disclosed. People need to know what their leaders are doing with the money that they give, whether they give cheerfully or not. People need to know what their money is going towards. And to not release the church's finances is troubling. If your church doesn't release its finances and where the money goes, I would I would say talk to the leadership. And if they fail to listen, then uh, you might want to want to get out. But here's the other side of that. Stephen Furtick is a pastor, and I know that he has written books. Well, I say pastor. I use that term loosely. Uh, I know that he has written books and, and he speaks at conferences, so he probably makes some money on those things. So if the man wants to build a, a $1.7 million house, uh, that's between him and the Lord. Uh, that's kind of the other, the other side of that argument. It's kind of a kind of like a, a coin with two sides. Uh, I'm like, on one hand, I'm like, come on, man, what could that $1.7 million go to? Are you living a little bit more extravagant than a pastor should be living? Let me just say this. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with a pastor having things and nice things on top of that. Um, but the problem is in the church world is when I bought my truck about three years ago, it was already a couple of years old when I bought it, and, and I bought a basic truck. It was used, uh, paid very little for the truck. I mean, I, my other truck had nearly 350,000 miles on it, and it was stopping in intersections, and I, I, I just couldn't um, continue down that road carrying my daughter with me everywhere I went for a while. So traded it in and got a great deal on the truck I drive now, and people actually said something. It must be nice. It must be nice have all that money. I thought we were supposed to keep the pastor poor and keep him humble. Sadly, that is a mindset many churchgoers have is that the pastor is supposed to live under uh, underneath them and they're not supposed to have nice things or or nice houses or things like that. And uh, that's kind of my argument on that. And then I uh, get on the other side, it's like 1.7 million is a little extravagant, uh, but that's between him and the Lord. Uh, just like everything that I do, my family does, everything that we spend our money on, we're going to have to give an account to that to the Lord because he has given us the ability to steward what he gives us and steward it well and uh so we're going to give an account of that so uh, i don't have much to say other than what i've just said on the whole uh large house thing uh, as far as stephen frederick I, I don't think that i don't think that alone makes him a heretic i don't think that just him having a big nice house is uh necessarily damning or uh, reason to call him a heretic it's just all this other stuff we've heard already here tonight and we only got a couple more minutes left on this video so let's see what else he has to say this land that god's people had to take before they could have everything that god wanted to give them as an inheritance it was the first everybody say first often the first battle is the hardest how many of you know that getting started is the hardest part sometimes just like getting to the gym if you can lace up your shoes you can make it through the workout but sometimes getting started is the hardest part and yet i was studying about jericho and you sing the song and it's like he fought the battle and the walls came tumbling down but what it doesn't tell you is that he he spent 45 years in the wilderness wandering because the generation before didn't have enough faith to go in he had waited 45 years to even get the opportunity to go into jericho so joshua was watching us with our you know our hand motions because you know the battle of jericho he's like wait a minute no hand motions no this is this is not as simple as you make it sound because because sometimes when we see somebody else's victory we oversimplify their process and we assume it was just easy for them 
and he just fought the battle and the walls came down. Well, actually, it went, it went in the other way around. See, because Jericho was not a very big city. I'm going to teach you a little uh, ge geography of the Bible here. It was actually such a, a small city. You could march around it in about an hour. About an hour. The circus music is killing me. Anybody else? Circus music got you about ready to end this? Me too. And it wasn't that Jericho was so big that made it a challenging city for them to conquer. It was that Jericho's walls were so high. And I'm going to preach on that for a minute. Because some of the stuff that's not happening in your life, some of the stuff that God has promised you that you haven't received yet, some of the stuff that you're intimidated of. That's another thing about Stephen Furtick. It's all about what you receive, what you're getting, what God is going to give you, your breakthrough. All of this NAR and Word of Faith type garbage and language that he uses, it's all about you receiving from God when we need to give back to God and worship everything uh, whether it be when we sing, when we pray, when we listen to the sermon, when we read our Bibles, when we spend time in uh, meditation on the Word, when we give, when when we carry out obedience to the Word in our daily lives, that's giving back to Him. Yes, we receive from God the Word. It fills us up. We receive encouragement, admiration, admonishment uh, when we gather with the saints. But uh, He's all about getting material things, getting relationships, finances, all sorts of stuff. It's uh, it's unbiblical at most, and it sounds like he's about to make uh, these this, these walls of Jericho somehow be the problems in your life, and that you just need to to walk around your problems apparently, or have faith or something, and all those walls will come crumbling down, and then Jesus or, or God will give you whatever you're wanting. I don't know what, if that's what he's going to say, uh, but that seems like what he's setting up and where he's ready to. Uh, to land that plane but let me tell you if he lands that plane in that direction it's not biblical it's not that it's really bigger than you because god is in you he's bigger than anything you face it's just that your perspective gets blocked by how high the walls are the walls of jericho are not your problems just like you're not david as matt chandler said at the code orange revival and, and these walls are simply walls in a city called Jericho. They're not your problems. They're not your light bill. They're not your relationship. They're not anything that you struggle with. Those are just problems and suffering and trials that you're going through. That's a result of sin potentially in your life. It is a result of the fall. And it's a result of, if you're a true Christian, going through the suffering that you are to go through as Jesus called us to. And none of these we look back to and say, oh, well, these are, these are the walls of Jericho. They're just too high. My problems are higher than I am. They're bigger than I am. I don't know. This is, oh, this is garbage, y'all. I'm getting to the point of this after almost an hour that uh, I about can't stand anymore. And, and ultimately, it's because people are being led astray for this. See, see, that's why you're so wise to come to church. Like, good job getting here this week. Because one of the great things about church attendance is... It, it, it lifts your perspective to see beyond the walls of your problems. It lifts your perspective to see beyond the obstacles and the opposition. So as long as all you're looking at in your life is walls, as long as that's, that's, that's what most of us spend six days a week doing, looking at walls, looking at setbacks, looking at deficits, looking at teenagers.
hello looking at our spouse looking at looking at looking at looking at our past looking at walls looking at problems but when you come to church here's something i love about the worship teams at lifechurch.tv because i always watch online i always check out the worship team and they're always so exciting and when they come up and start leading you in worship like it's not it's not like church online exists so you can stay home if you kind of don't feel like coming out because if you come out if you can come out you can get around other people and start praising god with other people and when you praise god with other people it reminds you I'm not alone in this I, I'm not on my own in this I've got other people I, I've got other people that are that are pursuing God with me and there's something about praising God there's something about making an effort to get in God's presence that will elevate your perspective so you can see past your problems and when you see past your problems you can see that the enemy you were intimidated of was actually intimidated of you all along Come on, somebody. You gonna help me preach today? If anybody intimidates the enemy, it is not us. It's Christ in us. Let's let John MacArthur take us home. Um, Stephen Furtick. unqualified and there you have it folks unqualified is a word that we could use to break down Stephen Furtick uh, let me hit pause on this this thing keeps rolling autoplay is on Stephen Furtick is a false prophet he's a heretic he's a false teacher and uh, if that hasn't done it for you I don't know what else will uh, I pray that if you're if you're locked into this teaching, if you love this teaching, that you will just pray for God to reveal to you if it's true or not. I can tell you that what I've heard, and and, and this isn't even all the things that he has done or said. So this is not all of it. This is just a, a 15, 16 minute video of things that have been captured when there's much more out there. I mean, we could take any sermon right now and we could break it down biblically. And what he's saying and and let scripture interpret scripture and see that it is not biblical so i implore you to please turn off stephen furtick he is a heretic tell your friends your family your co-workers not to listen to stephen furtick who can i listen to listen to men like rc sproul john MacArthur, paul washer vody balkum steve lawson uh, sinclair ferguson Listen to your local biblical pastor before any of those. Listen to other local biblical pastors. I can think of many men in my region, uh, many men that are biblical that I could listen to and do, listen to their sermons often. Wade Lentz, uh, Alan Nelson, Jeffrey Johnson, just to name a few. And some of those names may sound familiar to you as well, but find godly men and listen to those men on a daily basis or however often you listen to preaching but listen let that be supplemental uh you've heard it before don't let that be your go-to or your primary your local pastor if he is biblical is your number one source for uh, exe exegetical preaching expounding on the text so let let that man be number one in your life when it comes to pastors but let me just end here this is why we're sounding the alarm 
on the Doctrine Matters podcast. If you have a Bible or if you just want to listen, 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. The same goes for us today. When you look at men like Stephen Furtick, one phrase in here stands out to me, high among many in this passage. It says, just as there will be false preachers or false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. That's the way they do it. They're good-looking, they're good speakers, good communicators, they're funny, they make you feel good, and then they secretly give you just enough heresy to start molding you, and they secretly bring in more and, and wrap it in a little bit of Bible. And then, before you know it, you have found yourself going down a road that you do not need to be going down as a believer and even as unbelievers, if you're an unbeliever, if you're seeking, I know that the big word it has been over the past few years is seeking, right? If the Lord is leading you to churches, if the Lord is piquing your interest in the things of God, then find biblical-based churches. Where can you find a biblical-based church in your area? Well, first of all, you ask around. You can do that. Or you can go to the Founders Ministry website. You can just Google Founders Ministry. They have a church finder on there, Nine Marks has a church finder on there by you can look by, by your region and find biblically based churches that uh, love and honor God, exalt Christ and build one another up. Uh, so there's several ways that you can do that. So I encourage you and implore you to please find a biblical church and leave Stephen Furtick alone. I hope that you have heard me on this episode of the podcast. If you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, if you want to tell me how wrong I am about everything, I pray that you would do that with Scripture to back up your claim, and uh, I'd love to hear from you. You can leave a comment in the YouTube section. You can email me at doctrinematterspodcast at gmail.com, and through that email, I've gotten a new friend that I need to reply back to from Australia. So uh, just a shout out to my new friend there in Australia, uh, hopefully uh, we can continue to connect and and do it all for the glory of God. Uh, just leave me a comment, YouTube, like and share if you want to. I don't normally say that just because I believe in the sovereignty of God. It's going to get out to who it needs to get out to. And uh, whether you like and share it or subscribe or not is, is really makes no difference to me. I know that there's some sort of algorithm for YouTube, but I'm not concerned about algorithms. I'm, I'm concerned about the glory of God and sounding the alarm, especially when it comes to these false teachers that are filling the airwaves and filling the YouTube videos and all of those things. So drop me a comment, send me an email, Dr. Matters Podcast, all one word, all lowercase at gmail.com. And uh, I will respond to you when I see it. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, we'll figure out which other heretic we're going to sound the alarm on. Uh, pray that you have a good rest of your week. Good weekend. And God bless.